Hey! Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. My name's Jed. Uh, John is uh, in Legoland this week. The, the, in this episode, in this installment of the very difficult life of uh, John, he goes to Legoland with his family. It's not enough that he went to Disney World. It's not enough that uh, he's got two kids and a wife and a house. A dog, a cat that he hates. No. It's got to go to Legoland. Thanks a lot, buddy. Oh, well, I did ask him to buy me a Harry Potter uh, Hogwarts castle set while he was there. And he sent me an Amazon link to it. So that's the caliber of person John is. Thanks, bud. Um, we got a really awesome episode today. John in Legoland notwithstanding. We got Dan Koch back on the show. Dan is probably, yes, very much so one of my favorite people to talk to in the world. Uh, super smart. I love his voice, man. It's just buttery, velvety, smooth. Um, I think you'll enjoy it, too. We had some listener questions uh, that he answered for us, and I just ask him every random theological question I can throw at him, as usual. Uh but I think you'll enjoy it. So before that, I want to do a quick little Today I Learned sent to us from listener John Coche or Kochi. I can't remember. I'm sorry. Please tell me how I mispronounced it. Uh, this one is about the 90s show Ghost Rider. Anybody remember Ghost Rider on PBS, right? So... The producers just did an interview and revealed the secret identity, I guess, I don't know, the, well, the identity of the Ghost Rider. Ready? So, Ghost Rider was a runaway slave during the Civil War. He was killed by slave catchers and their dogs as he was teaching other runaway slaves how to read in the woods. His soul was kept in the book and released once Jamal discovered the book. That is way... Way more badass than that show deserves, I feel like. That's the coolest backstory I've ever heard for a kid's show. I mean, bravo. Uh, so thanks, John, for sending that. If anybody else, you know, feel free to send me some Today I Learns. Usually it's just my own picking, but I love it when y'all send me some. Uh, send me an email as well, churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com, patreon.com slash churchandotherdrugs. Um, this week, me and Tyler talk about how much I disliked Captain Marvel. I mean, I didn't hate it. It was okay. It was just okay. It wasn't that good. It wasn't bad. It was just okay. Uh, feel free to disagree with me you can be wrong it's okay it just wasn't that good it was all right it was okay brie larson yeah you're good okay sort of i get it you can save the marvel universe 21 movies in we're just gonna throw you in as the savior okay that'll work that's not a slap in the face to fans at all i'm not bitter you're bitter
can say whatever you need to say at the beginning. We don't have to jump right in. I just we'll nah, we'll just go with it. it. I'm I'm so bad at uh. I still, like, 117 episodes in, I don't know how to start with people. I'm like, okay, well, I'm here with Dan Coke. You know him from... Uh... Yeah. Yeah, or you don't know him from Adam. That's true. Well, uh, so, well, I'm here with Dan Coke, so... Uh... <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, what? Do a little intro, my friend. Okay, how about, why don't I take over the intro since I'm also a podcaster? <sighs> there you go. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna chill. Take it over, my friend. Okay. Hey, I'm Dan Coke, and I'm here with Jed. Hey, guys. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. This is Church and Other Drugs. There I you didn't go. Start, I didn't start this podcast, but I'm damn glad to be on it. But you're you're damn sure going to finish it. I, I am going to finish it. Yeah. What, uh, it's my second time, right? Yes. I'm a friend of the pod now. It is. You're official... officially. Have we? Yeah, I guess you're, besides my friends, I think you will be the first returning guest. Okay, I'll so, take that uh, honor. That's yeah. great. Nice. Is it uh is it still Arctic Vortex where you're at? No, it's it's cold, but it's like livable cold now. What? It was pretty rough. We lost a tree. Like one of our favorite trees in our yard. Kind Aww. of a bummer. Yeah. What uh, so what's what's quote livable cold to you? I just mean it's like in the forties and Whoa. high thir- high thirties. You know. Do you wanna know you wanna know the temperature today where I'm at? Tell me. 77 degrees. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, I would take that if it was an option. I would take it. But. Yeah, this this summer is going to be crucial, though. It's getting it's getting real warm real quick. Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, you know, I make this joke to people a lot, but all my favorite things are, like, indoors and require no bodily movement. So I like living in a place where I don't have to feel guilty about the fact that I'm not taking advantage of the weather. It's true. I'm like, oh, it's snowing or, oh, it's raining again. I guess I'll read this book or watch this movie, which I wanted to do anyway. Curse. <laughs> Darn the luck. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so I don't – it's fine. I don't mind it up here. Have you – I was just reading before I started. Um, this guy finally did an AMA. Have you heard of the uh, that guy Ryan Creamer? I have not. Sounds like I'm missing out. He's the guy, he works for, he writes for College Humor, but um, he makes safe for work uh, videos and posts them on Pornhub. Really? They are hilarious. Like, he wears like a Mr. Rogers outfit, and it's like, here's me doing the dishes, just like my mom asked. And it's 15 second videos of him just like doing wholesome things. And he's making, like he made rent last week on it. That's crazy. I mean, I guess it's just, if you're at work and you... If you work at a regular company, like it probably doesn't matter what you watch on Pornhub. If you go to Pornhub, that's going to be a problem for them. Yes. So people must be watching this at home. Yes, they are. They are. <laughs> Which because it's, cause it's uh, hilarious. It's so funny because it's yes. Well, I don't know. I don't have a lot of. I guess I don't have a lot of thoughts about that. But so he did in. He did an AMA. That's what you were doing before you talked to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just just reading that because that's just such a hilarious idea. I don't like. What do you think about normalization of porn? Yeah, porn is really tricky, man. It's uh, there is obviously some over sexualization going on in our culture. I think it is most disturbing when you see it in uh, people who are not adults yet. You know, uh, you see it in like 
teenage fashion or whatever. And, and that's, uh, sad and gross. Uh, I understand sort of the biology of it. You know, human beings used to get married and become, you know, they get married in their teens. Uh, mostly once we started getting married, there's all hundred thousand plus years where people didn't really get married, but you mean 7,000, but we'll, we'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I mean, I I think that in the UK, UK is doing some interesting research. I'm not super up on this, but my basic understanding is that they are looking into limiting pornography for, um, communal community health reasons. Really? And, yeah, because it uh, trying to reduce abuse and um, I don't know certain kinds of addiction and then various uh, like health outcomes that come from that and you know I, so I don't know the latest on that it's not really a field that I am any sort of an expert on um, I did watch a I watched a documentary that I would really recommend to people that was produced by um, what's her name Ann Perkins from Parks and Rec yeah, Rashida uh, Jones Hot Girls Wanted. Hot Girls Wanted. I watched that on Netflix, and it was fantastic. I mean, it's like a fantastic film, and really kind of brought home what it is that these girls go through when they try and break in to the porn industry. And it was really affecting, and uh, really has stuck with me for a long time. Um, and that so that's kind of changed the way I think about it. it well, it's complicated. It is. Well, and what bothers me, and I guess I'm primarily getting this from uh, Vice articles on the, the different, you know, like their Snapchat feed, their um, Reddit posts and all that. But they're very much like they uh, showcase people that are like championing the like don't shame sex workers and the whole thing. Yeah, and totally. I'm just like, I, but ugh. That's a big thing in Seattle here too with our local um, Alt Weekly, The Stranger. They're constantly the stranger, doing Stranger. Eh? Yeah, they, they're constantly doing like sex worker type articles and stuff. I get it. Um, I get it. If uh, you know, there there's something to be said for legalization of some of this stuff. You know, the if if your primary concern is not morality, for instance. Uh, and is just physical health, then it would make sense that you would go that route because you would think, well, I don't care. I don't think anybody's breaking God's law or anything. I just don't want them getting hepatitis. That's and true. if that's your yeah, if that's your view, then yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, I'm a bit more conservative on that. I think that there are more consequences than simply the health questions. I think there's emotional and, and psychological consequences. I think uh, there are. It's it is uh, a very easy way for people to be abused. And I think the thing that people don't talk about very much is there's usually a power dynamic at play hmm. uh, and cultural and monetary power. And that's actually probably the part that uh, affects me most recently when I think about this stuff or thinking about massage parlors or, you know, watching films where there's like, you know, Vietnamese, um, Vietnam War soldiers, you know, and, and having these uh, prostitutes and stuff. It's all this giant power dynamic. Totally. Between these American soldiers and then these Vietnamese locals, and and all that stuff is just like the opposite of the kingdom of God. So it's hard. It's hard to know. At the same time, I'm interested in thinking about the pitfalls of purity culture and what are some ways that we have tended to think about sex that are not helpful. I'm also interested in the difference between harm reduction models and abstinence models. You guys know about this totally. with your recovery work. And then how do we apply that to sex? That's interesting. Uh, so I'm open to those questions. But 
you know, I don't have like a good feeling about any of this stuff. It's it's yeah. all yeah. a bummer. Yeah. It it is yeah, that's a very good summary. It's 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 all a bummer. Um have y'all legalized mushrooms yet, speaking of which? No, there are no legalized mushrooms that I'm aware is, of. Isn't mushroom. that on the docket? I don't know. That would be oh, really interesting. Oregon. Oregon. Maybe in Oregon. Uh, no, right. in, in Washington, we were one of the first to legalize weed, but we there's no mushrooms that I'm aware of. That's interesting. I didn't know that that was mm-hmm. – I haven't seen that news item. They're, they're trying that in Oregon. Yep. I don't know if it um... – I don't know when the vote is, if it already happened, if it passed, or if it didn't. I, I just know it was on the docket, and I believe somewhere else, I want to say maybe like Missouri, something random like that. Some other state, I think, is thinking about it. Huh. I really doubt it's going to pass in Missouri. Um, <laughs> yeah, it might. <laughs> Oregon has Missouri, a better shot. Hey. That's interesting, although it seems maybe more dangerous than weed. Like, Oh, no. No, I mean, uh, not. I want to hear your thoughts on it as a, as a layman, though, why you think it would be more dangerous. Uh, I guess what I would say is my very limited understanding of psychedelics is that there is a much higher chance of psychosis, temporary especially, and that temporary psychosis, you could run out in the street, get hit by a car, you could do all kinds of stuff. That's just very, my understanding is it's very rare on marijuana. It's pretty rare in alcohol. You know, people don't go crazy on alcohol. They get really drunk or they black out and they do, of course, dangerous things. Um, but so I, I'd be interested because I know that there's research about, there's like medical research going on about psilocybin and, and other, um, hallucinogens, but, uh, I would think it would present kind of different, different questions I, and I, then go ahead. I would say of all the, and I guess we'll just say currently mostly legal drugs. So we'll just say like alcohol and marijuana and then I guess prescription drugs, I would say, mushrooms probably have the least chance of fatalities by by a pretty large margin yeah that that might be true um because you just sit on the couch or what yeah no basically like the whole the the whole like you know the story of like i heard this kid like looked at a glass of orange juice and like became the orange juice and got stuck and it's like what or like jumped out the window and yeah that doesn't really happen. Um, you're more. I don't know. How do you? How do you know it doesn't happen? You are you up on all the research? Oh well, I mean, anecdotally. <laughs> yeah, anecdotally. Exactly. Well, and and but I, I mean, want to see non-anecdotal I mean, research. And I mean, I have pre- I have as far as like sample size. I, I you know we're talking to the thousands of mushroom users and uh, hallucinogenic users that I've met and come in contact with. And that's just like not really what you do. It doesn't do that to you. It's not, if anything, you're like scared to go outside. And if you do go outside, you're just kind of like admiring things. It's not. Okay. So I have a question about this. So your recovery in your own drug recovery, Mm -hmm. I know that some people have used psilocybin or ayahuasca or other hallucinogens as part of their treatment. Did you ever do that as part of your treatment? No. Um, It has, it's been a temptation, absolutely. Um, so here's the thing, and actually, so I, I polled some people to, uh, if they had any questions for you, and that that was one of the questions from One of the uh, first things people said was to ask me about drugs. N- well, Kenan, <laughs> Kenan was, um, uh, would you ever take LSD for the spiritual experience? That was his question. Oh, that's the question? Well, I'll, I'll answer that later. You you answer my question first. Yeah, it, um... And what was it again? 
I asked if you ever used yes. uh, any of these for your own recovery process. Um, super tempting. And even so, Bill W., the one of the co-founders of AA, famously uh, mm-hmm. did LSD, but that was like when it was coming out, and it really was like medical at the time. In a lab setting, yeah, probably. In a, yeah, in a therapeutic yeah. setting. Um, I have not because I abused hallucinogens like every other thing and i think they are useful insofar as a handful of times past that the best description i've heard is spiritual masturbation or spiritual Mm -hmm. pornography because that's interesting that's why i hate the theory of oh christianity was born out of a mushroom cult it doesn't work that way. It doesn't produce any. Have you know, you never heard that the Joe Rogan? I mean, I like, I think I've heard it as a joke. Oh, but there's I've not people heard... that seriously think that. I mean, like I, I know that I saw that he interviewed somebody. Told me that he interviewed that guy that wrote that book. I mean, I don't know. I, people have used all kinds of things over all the centuries. Um, the... But even if you went to like a Amazonian tribe that uses ayahuasca. And you said, you guys are an ayahuasca cult. They would be like, no, we're not. Like, we have all these beliefs, and this is one of the things that we do. It's not the only thing we do. We don't do it every day. You know what I mean? So even, like, I just, that's reductive. It is. I'm not, so for me, I think I have learned, quote, learned everything I'm going to learn from it. I think it's done everything it's going to do. Plus, after my methamphetamine addiction, every time I took a hallucinogen, it was extremely – I went pretty much straight into a panic attack. Um, mm. So I think the brain chemistry there might be kind of done with it. Um, I do know – and I, we had him on the show, one person in particular who microdoses and once a year macrodoses, and he's in recovery. Um, mm. It would probably just be a stumbling block for me. Yeah. I'd probably just well, I think want, that's want wise. to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean that's that's definitely wise. There are, uh-huh. and there, because there's like, um, Ibogaine is the famous one that, like, supposedly is like opioid specific. Um, I don't know. I've known one person that tried it, didn't really say it, it did much as far as treating his heroin addiction, but we'll hmm. see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that stuff is all really, I, you know, basically when it comes to, should these things be deschedulized so that um, scientists can study them? I think probably. I you know, that. I um, I don't know that I. I don't think that that means that they would also become street legal immediately. It's more like a federal decision of classification, and I don't know. I mean, I, like most of uh, you know, most of the medicines we have come from plants of some sort. Now, even if they're synthesized, they're synthesized based on organic material to begin with. Mm-hmm. And like I don't, I mean, let's just make people better. Yeah, I'm. Well, I'm. I'm pro decriminalization across the board. Is is where I'm at. Even like heroin. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I I probably can't. I don't know a ton the about Portugal it, but I model. probably couldn't get that far. Uh, because I would just worry about like teenagers, and what, I just worry about well, the proliferation so, of heroin. Well, so I, well, let me. Yeah, there's a caveat. It would be. Like the Switzerland model is what I'd do for heroin, which is you can't, you can go to a heroin clinic okay. and they will give you government heroin. It's not sold in stores. It's not on the street corners. <laughs> Dude, they, yeah. the, the, I the, mean, uh, yeah. the success they've had is crazy. The crime reduction, the 
Like, yeah, crazy. I'm interested in that. I'm open. I, I mean, I'm totally open to it. I really don't. I should have realized that this is what we we're going to talk about on your podcast. It, it wasn't. I don't have. Uh, I don't know the data here. So I'm I'm really shooting from the hip. So don't take. My I need a soundbite from Dan Coke that says, "Yeah, dude, legalize heroin." <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea. No, um, I don't know. Here, here was why I brought you on the show. Why do you hate the Bible? Uh, <laughs> who hurts you? You know. <laughs> and where does it hurt? <laughs> and where does it hurt? So your your new podcast venture. Um, I'm confusing obesity con. You have permission. You have permission. Yeah. You have permission. Yeah. Uh, BCCon was you don't need permission. Yep. Carter and I came to those independently, actually, and then we talked about it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, it's been awesome. Uh, it's I been. really love your topics. You always so. My main there's not my main. I've got so many, but so I've heard you before talk about your anxiety right when you were referring to trump getting elected way back then you're like i have this anxiety yeah i've had anxiety since at least third grade yeah okay how is it because i want to get there i'm i'm the same way how is it that you seemingly do not have any anxiety in the questioning of what i would consider the greatest source of anxiety Heaven, hell, eternal soul. What is right with God? You I do. Swear. I do have anxiety there. Boy, you yeah. hide it. <laughs> I talk about it sometimes. Um, I don't have pervasive anxiety there. Well, let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, that is a long. That's been a long journey for me. Um, I think that I have had a lot of anxiety about that in my life. The the sort of number one anxiety trigger autobiographically for me is end times theology. That started when I was in like sixth grade. I had a class on it in eighth grade. Um, I sort of debunked some of my own thinking in college, but then up through 2007, I had to leave making a record with a buddy before we recorded vocals because I saw this 60 minutes piece on this like guy who claimed to be the Antichrist and it just freaked me out. Now, this is when I was drinking a lot of coffee and it's before I knew that there was a connection between caffeine and anxiety. And that's when I gave up caffeine for the most part. Oh, um, God, we need to revisit that. Yeah, 12, 12 years ago. So, I mean, I, like, I had a half-calf cappuccino today. I sometimes have green tea or a Diet Coke or something. Well, but it's I don't drink caffeine daily. I can't. It, it's, it's bad. Well, actually, this will just be a quick question so we don't have yeah. to come back to it. Because I've tossed that idea around in my head of – because I still very much drink a ton of caffeine, and I know it has to do it screws yeah. anxiety. But get it out of there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is, are things better off? Oh, totally. Oh, totally, man. Uh, I mean, I th- everyone's brain's different, but it, there's a lot of data that it, it's usually it's like I have been told that it is the first thing um, somebody will say to someone dealing with anxiety disorder is like stop drinking caffeine first off. I'm so scared, so, though. <laughs> no, it's, dude, you have a headache for like 10 days. Just take Advil, and then you're good. And then you start having more energy in the morning. Really? It, your body totally bounces back. And then you can use it occasionally just if you need a, you know, like I, I had a little today because I didn't sleep well last night. I have this interview. I have another interview after this. I was like, I'm, I kind of got to have my brain today. I'm just going to have a half of a, like a half shot, you know, of espresso. And, and that'll get me through the day. And then it worked. Now it works. So I had a half shot of espresso yeah, and you're probably jacked and i'm i mean i feel more normal because yeah, i because i was tired but like it actually works or like a diet coke can 
will like give me two more hours of attention for something oh, like this this might yeah. be my sign because I've, yeah, I've, 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 re- I've really been kicking it around and i know it and like i have ups and downs like crazy and my, my mental health is bad enough and i i mean literally we're talking you know upwards of probably 800 milligrams a day oh geez yeah, yeah if i if i get 50 i am stoked <laughs> 50 oh, is like man. i am pumped on life dude i mean should i just cold turkey it though no yeah it's yeah you're just gonna have a it's just like pick a 10-day period where it won't affect you too much where you can take a week off work or three or four days off work or something it's it's okay. really not that bad man it's not that bad right. I've, I've had to do it a couple times since then because i got re-hooked once or twice in the last 12 years so right. anyway i'll update you on that thank you all right i do have this anxiety and um, so the end time stuff is kind of about heaven and hell, but it's not as much about that for me. It's more about living my life through to a natural conclusion. It's about sort of experiencing the regular rhythms of a human life. And I don't know why this is the thing for me, but it's the thing for me. Uh, and so the joke I told on <laughs> Depolarize, which I'll repeat here is that in sixth grade, when I was really anxious about this, I was like, please, God, like, don't come back until at least I can, like, be naked with a girl. Yeah. <laughs> and this is before I knew what, what to do if I was naked. I didn't even – I was like, I won't have sex. I'm not, I don't want to sin. I just I, – I can't die before I am able to be naked with a girl. So um, so in terms of hell anxiety, you know, I do, I do have some anxiety about that. And I think uh, – I'm still kicking this around, but I think it has to do with people's personality. Like I'm the kind of kid that just took all the theology stuff really seriously from the beginning. Me too. And so I took hell seriously. I took heaven seriously. Some of my friends didn't. They just were like, yeah, right. You know, we're not going to hell, but I did take it seriously. And so, uh, yeah, I'm I've really heaven in anxiety. Stuff. Oh, my mom has heaven anxiety. She can't imagine doing anything forever. And yeah. so she gets anxious when she thinks about heaven. And that's interesting. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, all this stuff is, it's so mind bending that it really can kind of fuck with you um, in all kinds of ways. So, you know, I do have some of that, but for me, the, I mean, I suppose you want to know how I deal with it, right? And I'm yeah. able to, yeah. So the, the, the real answer, there's, there's sort of two answers. The, the earlier answer in my life, maybe operative up until five years ago or so, was that I just was convinced that like, God doesn't want me to turn my brain off entirely. And so there's plenty of scriptural support for like, love God with all your mind. And so I was trying to use my mind. And even though sometimes I would worry that using my mind would get me in theological hot water in one way or another, I didn't see an option for not using my mind and being true to the Christian call. And I just kind of rested in that a bit more tenuously than I rest now. Because in the last four or five years, it's more like um, some experiences that I've had in prayer of this sort of radical acceptance of God. Um, they That really grounds me in being able to sort of ask almost any question because I can't really doubt that God loves me. At this point, it's either God really, really loves me and therefore I should have the freedom to think about this stuff. Or all of it's bullshit, and it's all just spandrels, which is what you know evolutionary biologists call unintended uh, side effects of evolution. 
and the whole thing's bullshit. In that case, I definitely don't need to be afraid. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of, you know what I mean. So it's that's one or the so other funny. now. And, and so all... yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Um, no, that's it. That's that's so funny too. Is I've always been. I'm so concerned about Christianity, but if Christianity's wrong, oh, then like there's nothing. I, 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 for some reason, do not believe that there's any other thing. You should really hope that like Islam isn't the right, like that fundamentalist Islam isn't right. Then, then I think we're kind of screwed. Yeah, that'd be pretty rough. I'd have that'd to go rough. find a vest. But I tend to think of it like you know either either God exists and um, anything that is based in the love of God at its center. That stuff is more or less true. Of course, I believe much. I have much more detailed beliefs in this, but yeah. zooming all the way out, either that's true and God does love me, and this feeling of God, God's love in prayer that I experience and that so many billions of people experience corresponds to some reality about God, or it's all wrong, and then I definitely don't need to be worried. Yeah. So that's kind of where I end up. I. Now, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, you seem, so I guess one of my, one of my main issues with, and I'm going to paint with a huge brush, but my main issues with certain progressive theology and this kind of new movement that's evolving is, you know, the marriage of, um, Faith and science and the minimizing of the supernatural, which I find it hard to take Christianity without a huge spoonful of supernatural. And I, so, and it seems to me that you seem less on the supernatural. Fair? Yeah, I'd want to define my terms, uh, but I'm coming to believe that there is no distinction between natural and supernatural maybe okay yeah well there will yeah because the only question was um why yeah like why not why uh okay uh the question is why disbelieve in the supernatural or why collapse that distinction or whatever why well yeah i there was a poorly worded question Basically, with like, especially with like, you you always blow my mind with that damn evolution, and your episode on it was really good. And I, I was I'm, I'm reading through N.T. Wright's "Surprised by Scripture," and he was just like, "What if you know, talking about evolution and like Adam and Eve was just this random pair that God selected?" And I was like, "Well, fuck, that kind of makes sense." Damn it! Yeah, that's but, one of the views. That's one of the possible views for Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah. There, there's just. I don't know. I don't know. I guess yes. Why is it? Why do you tend to lean towards explainable things and not just the accepted supernatural plain answer? Okay, so it seems like we're talking about a couple different things here. Uh, On the yeah. one hand, we've got like miracles. Okay, so that's one way of talking about the supernatural. That doesn't seem to mostly be what you're talking about. No, you're I, more I, talking about supernatural angels, spirits, inspiration demons. or inspiration of scripture, even. Yes. Sort of like God is supernaturally giving uh, human authors this revealed truth. Um, and then – so those are kind of – and then and then really related, you're also not even just talking about supernatural. You're just talking about how much should we go to science to answer questions about faith or the Bible or whatever right? as well. Okay. So all those things are kind of swimming around. Um which one of those do you want to talk about first? 
What's the burning one? Um, I guess the science. Okay. So here's the thing with science. Science is born out of <laughs> – let me tell you the thing about science. <laughs> here's how I think about science. Science is born out of the Judeo-Christian tradition in the West. Okay. It is born out of an idea that you do not find, for instance, in Eastern thought until much later that uh, the universe has law-like regularity. And it has that because the, of the consistent mind of God, so, something like that. We're talking early, early science. The earliest scientists were clergy. They were pastors and priests with time on their hands. And they were starting to try and answer questions about astronomy and about geology and all of this stuff. And it came out of their Christian conviction that the that God created the world and it was good. And uh, the world is not something to be escaped. It is maybe something to learn about. And in so we learn about God in so doing. So I don't see a problem with leaning on science. Now, what you end up, what ends up happening is once you start to do that, then you come up against certain interpretations of the text that you have been given or that have seemed reasonable to you in the past or that your pastor says or that your parents or friends say, and then you have to choose between, am I going to go with the old school interpretation of this or am I going to let the science speak to the possible interpretations available to me. If you don't know that there, at that moment, if you don't know that there are possible interpretations, this is the reason for you have permission existing, basically. If you only think there's this one or it's all bullshit, well, then you're going to say, I guess I don't trust science. I'm going to go with the, the, this interpretation of the text. Or you might not even know it's an interpretation. You might just say, I'm going to go with the Bible. I'm not going to go with the scientist on this one. If you do know that there are a bunch of possible interpretations, well, then you might say, I will let the science influence which of the available interpretations I accept or choose. Or it's not even always a choice because you can't really choose what you believe or find convincing. You either find it convincing or you don't find it convincing. True. But if you know that there are multiple ways of, for instance, reading Adam and Eve, then you can say, like N.T. Wright said there, okay, well, I'm going to go with one of the interpretations that includes biological evolution because the evidence for biological evolution is very, very strong. And so rather than fight against that, since I know I could have this other belief about Adam and Eve, other than they are the first two humans, um, then I'll take one of those readings. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And and it, it it all circles back to it doesn't matter, especially things back then. Does it really matter? And I guess so if it turns out that – well, I guess when I say it doesn't matter, then does it matter? I guess that is an important question because I was going to ask you, well, then why don't you just believe that Adam and Eve were why, – why not believe that it is as it says? Is there a danger in that? Yeah, the danger is um, – it, it depends on what you mean. Hmm, yeah. So in Hebrew, the word Adam means human. So textually, and John Walton from, from Wheaton, of all places, has written about this extensively – that the text itself gives us clues that we're not dealing with an individual person here necessarily. 
why would the author of Genesis have the first, the guy's name be human? Human, right? That's kind of weird, right? Yeah. It's like if you, <laughs> it's like it's a imagine if I tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was robot, and you go, wait, is that robot's name, or is this supposed to be a larger story about what robots are like? True. Probably it's the latter. So there is some evidence in the text itself, right? that this is not about two people. Uh, but the real problem comes from the genetic evidence. So if we, want to, if we think that the author of Genesis is making a scientific historical claim about the first two Homo sapiens, then we would expect to find evidence of that in the human genome. And we don't find that evidence. What we find is that, tons of stuff, but it's like, Homo sapiens inter, uh, you know, interbred some with Neanderthals and then with Denisovans. And so we each have like 1% to 4% Neanderthal and 1% to 3% Denisovan DNA in us. And then they can also trace this stuff back and go, look, at the, at the very shortest or at the very tiniest, there was a population of maybe as few as 10,000 Homo sapiens from which modern Homo sapiens come. And it just never gets down to two. So... Uh, either you have to come up with something, you have, you have three options. One, you can say DNA evidence is crap. Uh, I don't know how you would motivate that, but you could say that. Two, you would say the DNA evidence is planted there by Satan or somebody to deceive us. Checkmate. You know, Satan buried the fossils kind of a thing. Or three, you say I will accept this as at least provisionally true. And uh, therefore, I will, if I have to choose a reading of Adam and Eve, I will choose a reading that allows me to not have to deny the, the data from DNA. I like it. So then I'm like, okay, well, then any of the potential readings, because there's a few. There's the representative theory. That's what N.T. Wright said, which is that Adam and Eve rep- are like, that's a, that is a story with some truth value about the first two human beings that God communicated with directly. I think that's one option. I like. I think a better option is that consciousness of God grew as our brain capacity grew, and as as humans, really even as human culture goes on, I think that evolves, and we have a greater capacity for communicating with God. And so I would I would buy into a more of an emergence theory of our ability to to speak to and commune with God, and that Adam and Eve is a mythical story which tells us very true, deeply true things about what it means to be human. And I would just lean into that whole Adam means human aspect. Okay. So do you believe, as the Old Testament authors and New Testament believed about, like, the divine council, the Elohim, the angel. I mean, that's like the whole narrative is about basically them coming down, fucking things up, Jesus coming, setting it right. And like, that's the whole, what the whole thing is about. Do you read that as, do you think that's like, you know, Satan's a metaphor for ego and all that jibba jabba? Yeah, I think there's two separate questions. So let's hold off on Satan and evil and demons for a second. The divine council stuff, Elohim is at the top of the council of all the lesser gods, and then and then later on we get, no, I'm Yahweh, like God is one. That's the Shema, which is the, the primary prayer in Judaism. Um, it's like God is one, and he saved Israel, or something like that. Um, I wish I 
knew it. Exactly. But that the the Council of the Gods stuff, I find the best explanation for that to be in the sort of critical literature, uh, the historical critical literature on the Old Testament, which just compares what we have in the Bible to what we have from other civilizations around that time and tries to trace the development of these understandings about God. I find that to be a pretty good explanation for those passages. And uh, that, yeah, the Israelites didn't start out just from day one believing in monotheistic Yahwism. That came over time and arguably didn't even totally congeal until the exile or, or something like that. And I'm not, fre- I'm not fresh on that chronology, so don't quote me on that. Um, so, and, and I would take issue with you saying that what Jesus does is related to undoing. So there, there's different ways of thinking about what Jesus does. One way of thinking about it is that, yeah, Jesus comes to defeat the devil and defeat sin and death. That is like um, a classic version of Christ as victor uh, atonement theory. Um, but you don't have to take that literally, right? You don't, uh, you could take that more metaphorically that like, you don't, you don't need an actual Satan for that to make sense. You just need the fact that there is evil and that evil and sin and competition for resources and scapegoating and all this stuff really do seem to rule the day in so much of our human existence and Christ's work in some mysterious way is basically the seeds of the rebellion that uh, overdoes that overturns that order of the day which is not here yet in the words of N.T. Wright you know it's the already not yet kingdom it has started in Christ but it has not culminated yet and it doesn't culminate until the end and so I'm kind of rambling here why don't you just jump no, in with yeah, some yeah, clarification yeah. no um so then just plain question do you believe in a literal Satan I don't know uh I don't believe that – I don't think I believe that God created a being – this is hard. This but is really hard. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... we rebel. So it's it's possible. It, it's totally possible. I guess the thing I'm more worried about is the way that people u- – I'm, I'm yeah, more concerned sure. with the way that people use language about demons and Satan As than I am – yeah, or, or like kind of in – in kind of messed up traumatic ways and, and they will kind of shame people with that or they will, I don't know, there's a lot of ways that that can go really wrong and sour. Um, I, I do, I think there are some problems with believing that there is this being that's like almost as powerful as God. That, that starts to look less like Christianity and more like Zoroastrianism or something to me. Does it which, not kind of make sense though? Well, so see, this is what is interesting, right? If we're using, if we're talking about Satan to describe the world, yeah, it makes kind of a lot of sense. There's, yeah, there's, and so in that sense, I have no problem with it. You want to talk about the enemy? If when you say, Lord, we know the enemy wants us to fight amongst ourselves. We know the enemy wants us to hoard our belongings and not give them to the poor. Amen, brother and sister. That's true. The, the enemy does want us to do that. I don't know if the enemy is anthropomorphized or if the enemy is sort of the sum total of all the selfishness in the world. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways to think about it. I don't, I don't know which one I land on. I just, I don't like it when the, the, the worry is that 
we're so hardwired to have us versus them and to have tribal conflict between us and, and whoever is out of our in-group. And so often demons and Satan get called up as justifications for othering people. That's my main concern. If we're talking about the enemy in a way that's like opposite of Christ-likeness, great, I'm in. And maybe that's personified, maybe it's not. Although uh, there's an additional worry that I don't, we don't have to get into here, but there's an additional worry about if people can really be possessed in a way where they have no will at all, um, that presents some problems. Yeah, true. Theological I, problems and stuff. Yeah, and and we'll we'll leave that there because that'll yeah. be a whole a whole that's thing. A, that's a whole thing. And I'm still thinking about that. I don't really have a whole lot to say about okay. it. Uh, Satan is real. Moving on. <laughs> um, Certainly, something uh, like Satan is real. I mean, evil's real. That's for damn sure. You're fucking right. So you know? this is this is a. I really like this question, and uh, it's worded well. So I'll just read what he wrote. This is from uh, my buddy Aaron A. Bear. He's a big fan of yours. I gave him all your contact info, so you're welcome. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> he can email bunch, me anytime he wants. A bunch of questions surrounding the fact that evangelical Christians generally appeal to the Bible, Scripture as the highest form of spiritual authority. In doing that, they are quick to point out that God said to do this and God said do that, which I'm totally fine with, but I find that it creates a couple of interesting paradoxes worth thinking about. Did Jesus tell us to compile a Bible after he was gone? If he didn't, whose authority did we appeal to in order to compile the Bible? Can we appeal to that same authority to write the second volume of the Bible, describing God's relationship with man in the last 2,000 years? Are we still writing Scripture? Did James know he was writing Scripture when he wrote those letters? We know God doesn't speak solely through Scripture. What other reliable ways can we hear from God? If Bible studies aren't cutting it for us, are there any Christian organizations that are doing good work with developing innovative or rediscovering lost practices around these other ways of hearing from God? Wow, those 10 excellent questions from Aaron. I know, right? Um, <clears throat> Feel okay. free to answer one or none. Let me take the last bit first, which is, are there people doing innovative ways other than Bible studies? Yeah, and that's uh, especially, I'm especially interested in anybody who's doing contemplative stuff. So okay. Richard Rohr, his Center for Action and Contemplation, I think that's CAC.org. There's also, like, there are spiritual directors in most, uh, in all major cities in the United States. These are people who are trained in the art of spiritual direction, which uh, has flowered more in the Catholic tradition, but a lot of Protestants do it as well. And, and a lot of Protestants get trained in spiritual direction. And that's basically like a spiritual therapist, sort of. And they, and they. That's like a position you can Google for? Like, yeah, you city? get a master's okay. in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Spiritual yeah, so, director? Yeah, spiritual okay. director. And so. They will train in all these different contemplative prayer practices, and then they can guide you in them and give you homework and talk to you about it and suggest, you know, further practices for you in your faith. Um, that so those are ones. I mean, anytime anybody is uh, serving the poor, that is a time honored Christian action. You know, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so if if you're feeling kind of overwhelmed with uh, sort of Bible-only Christian living. Those are some live live options, I think. Um, the other one, or the other questions, I feel like I could get at a lot of them 
by talking about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. So Ooh. this is this is an idea. I didn't in, come in, here for math, Dan. <laughs> this is an idea in Wesleyan thought, Methodist thought, but a lot of people pick up on it. A lot of Christian traditions really like this. Wesley's idea was: Look, yes, you do have Scripture, and Scripture is at the top. It is sort of you know, things need to jive with Scripture, or they're pretty much excluded. But then you have three other points: you have tradition, what the, how the church has interpreted Scripture, or what it's thought about theological questions. You have experience your own and the experience of other people that you can know or read about. And you have reason, just arguments, logic, um, you know, debating things. And somewhere in between those four things, with discernment, you try and find the answer to whatever your question is. Now, the nice thing about that is, of course, there's never, you're not going to know exactly where that point is. You're always going to be discerning it. And you're hoping to get as close as possible. I find that to be a helpful way of thinking about this stuff. We really can't do better than that. Uh, yeah, and I also, totally. I also like those four points. That, that seems about right. Richard Rohr has, he has his own, he calls it a tricycle, and he puts experience at the top. And then scripture and tradition, I think, are the other two wheels of the tricycle, he says. Um, and I think he might include reason and experience. So, you know, there's different ways of formulating it. I like the Wesleyan one, personally. Um, but, one second. No, I... Okay, let's try it again, okay. So it's not... So yeah, the Bible is not still being written, but our discernment process as a church or as a, an individual member of the body of Christ is always ongoing. You know, Jesus says at one point, I will send a helper and he will show you things you haven't even dreamed about. And so our job is to listen to that. And that's also a way to answer the first question about, it's not that Jesus told us to do a Bible. The traditional understanding is that it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led the early church nice. in determining what is in the Bible and what counts. That being said, it's not as perfect of a process as your apologetics professors would like to have you believe. There are different canons and different denominations, different branches of the church. And there are actually different lists uh, from various church fathers that include a few different books here and there. And famously, Martin Luther questioned whether or not the book of James, funny, Aaron, that you should mention James, should even be in the Bible because he had such strong theological objections to it. So all that stuff does get messy. Uh, and I like to say it's discernment all the way down. We do have scripture that's unchanging, but we always have to interpret scripture in light of these other things. And uh, it, it's, it is going to be messy, but I would say faith is messy. So I'm, yeah. I'm learning to be okay with that. Yeah. Um, I like that. Uh, this can be a quick um, yes or no. The people want to know if Dan's a universalist. I'm a universalist, yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that I know that universalism is true. I certainly don't know that. And I don't even really I, – I think I'm ready to start thinking more about what I mean by salvation because I'm increasingly sort of less satisfied with the idea of like the individual soul going to purgatory and then going to heaven or – I, I'm not sure. Like, I think we're more connected than that, probably. And so we. I would hope, I, my hope, my great hope, is for a continued subjective conscious experience of my own that I can enjoy and recognize. That's what I want. However, perhaps whatever we get next isn't like that, and it's totally worth it, and it's much better. I don't know. 
Yeah, um, okay. it's yeah. very hard to think about that stuff. My anxiety started. I was like, but I don't want to go into some massive light. Yeah, unless be absorbed. Unless it's collection. better. I mean, I don't. Right. Exactly. Who knows? Unless exactly. that's pure bliss, and pure bliss is like all the best moments of life combined. I mean, I don't know. We okay. don't really know. I think all we can right. do is hope and trust that God is good. Now, I like the, that. the reason that I become a universalist is that I just think that uh, there is nothing that God has created that God does not love infinitely. And there is nothing about living in this world that could ever convince someone given a clear vision that they would not want God. And so while we're alive, we should not be surprised at all that people reject God or reject love, reject goodness. Of course they do. There's all this sin and evil in the world. There's all these reasons to reject love. But if we imagine that there were ever an instance where that stuff wasn't present, those constraining forces were not present, then, then I just imagine everybody would choose God. And I guess it takes another argument to say, that unless God gives someone that choice free from those constraints, then God is not just in condemning that person to hell. So that's why I don't believe that God condemns them to hell because they we're not we're not choosing God on a level playing field while we're alive, basically. True, and I guess the only quick pushback I have to that, and and I know people push back to, is that like well. It almost so. Then, what's the motivation for living right? Or like, where's the justice in that? How is it that? Um, yeah, I mean, where where's the justice in that? Uh, well, in terms of there's different ways to think about justice. So, in terms of justice, I mean, if you're saying that God is fundamentally injured by people's not choosing God while they're alive, and that that does some kind of harm. That like if God, if you're really God, you would get him back for that. Uh, I don't think we can say that. Well, no, um, it would be like the the you know the Saudi Arabian prince worth trillions of dollars that owns a harem of slaves and da uh-huh, da da da, yeah. and he just yeah. gets to die and go to heaven. Whereas, uh-huh. you know, yeah, right. Although there is no that parable. No there's the parable of the workers in the field, and the last workers come in for only the final hour. And the field master pays them the same as the ones who worked all day. And Jesus yeah, is like, that parable. I know, that fair. parable sucks. <laughs> so I think we have to consider that parable. Um, another thing that we might want to consider is the I, I would take issue with the idea that the purpose of life on earth is to get to heaven afterward. Yeah. I... Uh, that seems weird, first of all. Um, it doesn't really seem scriptural. I don't think there's really a good argument from Scripture for that. Uh, if anything, if we want to point to the Gospels, the purpose of life is to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, something like that. Yeah. Um, the good news is that the kingdom of heaven has arrived. That's what Jesus says. And that's the good news that he sends the disciples out to preach long before he's ever killed or resurrected. And so I think that, uh, you know, universalism – now, I, I will say I do allow for annihilationism. It's a possibility Maybe it is true that people don't choose God in the end and, and they cease to exist and that's the just thing for God to do and that's maybe that's right. Um, and, and, and there are passages in Scripture in Jesus' that's own words that seem to talk about a judgment, you know, the wheat of and the tares, kind. sheep and goats. 
And yeah. so I don't know what that means. I, my hope is that those passages are meant to say, this shit is serious. It really matters. But how it, could it be serious if it didn't matter? Well, what do you mean? What I mean, it, it already matters. It matters now. It like whether like whether or not the only way it doesn't matter is if we're all just electrons. Then it really doesn't matter. That's true. But if we're not all just electrons, if there is some of God's will that is permeated throughout the cosmos, that God has preferences about how we act now. Okay. Then it already matters. For sure. Yeah, okay. The only way it doesn't matter is if Richard Dawkins is right. Then it that's true. It really doesn't matter. It's just energy and it's all personal preference. And the only thing that matters is I'd prefer to still be alive. Well, great. I'd prefer that you weren't. And that's oh, it. And, there, and there's not you know what I mean? And then there's literally nothing. Yeah, no, totally. So yeah, it already okay. matters. The question is, will there also be divine reward and punishment? That's a separate question from whether or not it matters. Okay. Uh, yeah. You know For I mean? some reason, I never made that distinction. That is, yeah. So you know? I, I think it's more like I do. You, you lose. It's true that at a psychological level, you lose some motivation for being a Christian. You lose some motivation if you don't think you're going to hell otherwise. And for a couple years, you might just go sleep around and get high, become addicted to meth, for instance. Wow, dude. And then oh, you might whoa. reach the end of that. <laughs> yeah. No, and then you might go, no, I'm that sucked. That's yeah. not a good way to live. And then you might find in hitting that wall, there's something luring you back to something more beautiful. And if I were to say to you, Jed, dude, you're going to heaven either way. So all of that was meaningless. I don't think you would agree with that. I don't think yeah. you would think it was meaningless. I would think that's, that you learned something actual. You are – that's – so you did just – because, all right, here, that's funny, man. Yeah, that is – I didn't – I don't know why I didn't think of it that way because I used to think – I've had this 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 thought, this debate in my mind for a while now because it's like, well, I would just if, – if if there was no consequence, I'd just go back to I, – I would find a way to have enough drugs to make me happy until I died. Um, then again, I tried that. I did. I really gave it a fair shot, and I could say, well, it's just because I didn't yeah. have enough money. I wasn't rich. If I would have won the lottery, this, that, and the other, it's like, well, no. No, it did suck. Yeah, and also, even if you could achieve that, that's a real thin, lo thin definition of happiness. For sure. instance, that kind of happiness would could never include a healthy marriage, uh, a robust relationship with a child, watching your kid graduate from college. You, right. you wouldn't be able to have that kind of drug-induced permanent happiness and have the kind of life that we tend to think is really the life that's worth living, that's the, the truly great life, because happiness is not actually an isolated thing. All we can do with drugs is simulate happiness for some period of time. But that's not the real thing. And so I don't know. I just don't really – I don't really find the, the concept that, well, if we all go to heaven, it's all meaningless. Like what the hell are you talking about? We live – I'm alive. I'm self-conscious. I can write art, songs. <laughs> I can yeah. look at a sunset. I can have sex. I can do all these things. What do you mean there's no point? Like what he created it and uh, said that it was good. 
I'm living in a good cosmos right now. And that all seems to really matter. And then whatever's next also matters. There's, it's not, I don't see yeah, the need to replicate like it. it. I don't know why I felt, I, I, I mean, a lot of it is just unlearning really bad theology as a kid. Um, slowly but yeah. surely. I kind of want to, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we're getting close to our time, so I kind of want to wrap it with, I probably asked you this last time, but I'm interested on the updates of, because I'm going through, you know, the quote, a season of really feeling distant from God, right? Yeah. I don't know what's up with that. I'm trying to, I don't know, I'm trying, the difference is I'm trying not to dwell on it too much and just kind of be like, well, whatever, I'm just living life, everything's okay, I don't have to be concerned. Um, do you go through that? Are you currently in that? Are you, do you, how do you encounter God? Of course I go through seasons of feeling less connected to God. Um, I, I've, I'm, I'm in a low-grade season of that right now. I think it's, it seems to me to be more because I have done a bad job of making myself available to God in prayer and in silence. And so that is, mm-hmm. um, well, hopefully we'll address some of that. But people go through all kinds of things. I mean, Mother Teresa famously went through like 15 years of not hearing from God at all while she was doing her work in Calcutta. Uh, I mean, that's incredible. Um, and that is I, very reassuring. Yeah, I find that very reassuring. It, well. it really is. Yeah, it's yeah. like. Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of this stuff is, is by definition mysterious. If God exists, we're not going to be able to sort of formulatize God. Uh, because God is obviously beyond what we can formula, formulatize or f- formulize. Formulate? Formulate. Formulate. There we go. I like formulatize better. Yeah. <laughs> Turn him into a, a formula. And so, yeah, I mean, how, your other question was, how do I experience God? Yeah, because that's kind of what I'm, I'm like. Well, maybe I'm looking for the wrong thing. It is so a couple things. A, I've never been sober this long, so I don't really. This is everything is is new, right? This is like every every month is another milestone of oh, like this is yeah. the first time, right? Which I, I I discount sometimes, thinking, you know, it's it's been five years, but it's only been five years, and so yeah. like a lot changes. So at the very beginning, it seemed like. God knew that I needed some like really powerful emotional swells, some very like supernatural feeling of closeness. And it seems like maybe I'm at a point where he's kind of letting the rope go a little bit and like, okay, Mm -hmm. little, little ducky, like fly. And it's just, it's, it's scary. And I, I interpret that sometimes as abandonment or what am I doing wrong? Da, 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 da. That's kind of where I'm Yeah, at. that resonates with me a lot, actually. Uh, four or five years ago when I started doing some contemplative practice, I had some pretty strong experiences pretty quickly off the gate. And I think that, similarly, that I needed that kind of data. I needed that kind of evidence. And that has slowed down a fair bit. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, just listening to you talk, I was reminded that I've had a couple things where I think God's been talking to me about racial equity and um, these kind of these very embodied things in the world that are not abstract and that mm. I can't really do them quietly in my studio alone. 
that they're sort of like getting involved kind of things. Hmm. And maybe that's what is next. And maybe I should not look to recreate those sort of mystical experiences of my early prayer days. And maybe I need to be heading out into the field and, yeah. and getting, getting involved with a, a community of people who are reaching out to God in a different way than I've ever had to reach out. And so maybe there's something in there. Maybe there's some version of that for all of us. In these different seasons, uh, I, I would that would be consistent with my understanding of God if that were true. I like it. No, that's I like it. I think we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. Where uh, can people find your new show, man? Yeah, it's called You Have Permission. It's anywhere you get podcasts or You Have Permission Pod dot com. And I guess it's worth noting I do a, I run a Patreon campaign as well, and it's five bucks a month. And it includes two bonus episodes every month and uh, a Facebook group for patrons only. I know that it's annoying to charge for that kind of stuff, but um, it's the way it is, does take a lot of time. So it's kind of like a seemed like a reasonable thing to offer for the money. Yeah, totally. And it's very much God's will that you send Dan. He'll <laughs> send no. you an, an anointed handkerchief. And of course, if people can't afford that, then uh, we we work things out. So that's yeah. not an issue. Um, and anybody no. can anybody can email me if they want. You have permission podcast at gmail.com. I love getting emails and I respond to all of them. No, and, and I, I do it, you know, Dan does a lot of really good work that's really well produced um for for free. So I, I, I do ask, you know. Which reminds me, I, I gotta do that too. I've just, <laughs> I've just been yoinking your stuff. I always forget that, man. It's funny. No, you don't have to. It's fine. No, but I've been I'm I'm out of episodes, so I need to anyway. Ah, well then. See that's so eventually I'm gonna go to every other week. That's probably when I start Ooh. grad school. And then people will really feel the pinch. Yeah. <laughs> right now it's still like every week, okay, there's a lot of content here. Yeah. But totally. I appreciate people's generosity and, and all that. Man, I lo- always love talking to you and thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Yeah, we'll 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 get you back again, man, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like there are plenty more questions. There always are. Wait, I thought I never answered LSD. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the question was: Would I ever take LSD for the spiritual experience? Yes, I would be open to it in a in a controlled, uh, you know, wise setting. Um, with if there was somebody who had experience with uh, that at a spiritual level, my understanding is that would be easier to do with ayahuasca or psilocybin because there are actually these like sects of Catholicism in like Brazil that yep. train priests in this kind of ceremony. Uh, I, I, I will admit that I'm very interested in that and curious about it, but I'm also very aware that like getting shrooms from a dude in Seattle <laughs> and like trying to dose it myself is not the same thing as that. And so uh, I don't know that I'll ever have the opportunity to do something like that. Um, I, I would be, I would be interested I have a lot of thoughts about the whole psychedelic drugs and religious religion stuff. I guess my main takeaway is like it's really interesting to me that they appear to produce similar experiences, but I think all things being equal, we should vastly prefer the type of experience that people have who are experienced in prayer and meditation over ones yes. induced by a, a substance. Um, yes. And and you know some of the people and some of the advocates in that world talk about it as if it's literally the same thing and all that really matters is you have to give people this experience and then their lives will change 
uh, it might be the same if you want to restrict it only to the subjective experience for two hours. But that's not the whole thing about a person. I, I'm an I'm an Aristotelian in that I think that people need to cultivate habits and virtue. And uh, like you said, just doing drugs once or twice, yeah, you might you might see some stuff that's helpful for you. But then you have to cultivate habits for the rest of your life. So yeah. they can't be the same. Um, it's not. It's not. An experience brought about through a cultivated spiritual habit of prayer or meditation seems far preferable. And so I'm really interested in deeper mystical experiences, but that is the route that I plan to take, uh, even if it doesn't end up working for me. It's probably wise. Yeah. Probably wise. But if you ever decide, I will totally be your trip sitter. And we can uh, we can work that out. I will, I'll take you on a, a magic carpet ride, my friend. Oh my gosh! Well, I don't uh, don't hold your <laughs> don't get your hopes up, Chet. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.